Good morning. Yeah, welcome to the Christian Church of Vestas Park. We are disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. It is a great joy to be together today, especially we continue this and complete this series from the book of Psalms and really talk about how amazing our God truly is. Before I do that, however, um, I would appreciate if you wouldn't mind, take out your bulletin on the inside. There is a green connection card. I would be ever so grateful if you'd fill that out for me and... Uh, you just let me know that you're here, and at the end of the message, we'll come back to this. There's some next steps I'm going to challenge you to take. We could do that together. There's also a place on the back side to write your prayer requests. I encourage you to do that because we pray for you every week, and if we know how, even better. And then at the end of the message, we could drop this in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts. And if you're a guest here this morning, maybe your first or second time with us, special welcome to you. It is a real privilege to have you today uh, join us, and uh, we encourage you to fill out whatever you feel comfortable filling out on that connection card. Along with everyone else, uh, we invite you to drop that in the offering basket. And also, we've got a gift bag in the back there for us in a blue bag. Make sure you grab one of those on your way out. To, just a way of blessing you and saying thanks for being with us today. And uh, as, as you guys are filling that out, uh, there are some things that are happening at the church. I just want to make you aware of one particular. On the 25th, we're going to be having our annual meeting. And boy, did God bless our socks off this last year. And uh, we're going to celebrate that together. And then we're going to talk about what God has for us this next year as we work together, that uh, unified vision that we're praying for, all this that God is uh, really calling us to think some really awesome things. So if you're a member of the church on the 25th, we invite you to be there. We're going to have one service on that Sunday. That's why I'm talking about it now. So that way, over time, you'll remember. And uh, it's going to be at 10 o'clock, and then we're going to have a fellowship meal. We're going to ask you to bring whatever. You could, if you're not a member, you could join us too for that. Whatever food makes you happy, bring that. Because we're going to celebrate we should have happy food. And then after, we're going to have our annual meetings. That's the 25th marketing calendar. Uh, there's other stuff that's happening. It's on that yellow sheet of paper in your bulletin. Read it. All right. As we do that, let's talk about uh, this, the Psalms so far. Right? So uh, in this very brief series, there's a lot more Psalms than we talked about. But Psalms are songs. Right? They, they speak not just to our heads, but to our hearts, those deeper places, right? those, those truths that resonate with our very being. And we saw at the very beginning in Psalm 1 how we find real happiness in relation to God. That's where that is found. And as we connect with Him and His Word, this is where we're going to find contentment and joy and true happiness. And then we discovered as we move along through this that, that it's not just happiness that we found. We, we also find purpose and meaning and joy and, and even how to handle our guilt and shame and all of those things, how, how the book of Psalms resonates with every part of our lives where God is there and he's good in all of those spaces. And today we're going to complete the series not by accident but in Psalm 100. And the reason that we're doing that is it talks to uh, why all of that other things work. Why is happiness and joy and contentment and peace and forgiveness and all of those things, why that is found in relation to God. And not better than that, how does that affect us? In fact, by the end of the day, where you're going to leave, you're going to discover that uh, why entrances matter, why it matters how we approach our life and really approach the Lord, and how to approach life, and I think in a more joyous way. And it comes down to this amazing truth, which is the last verse of this very brief psalm, our anchor verse, Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Do you believe that? The Lord is good. Not my life is always good. Certainly not that Aaron is good because if you knew me, I'm, I can be naughty at some times. The Lord is good. He is faithful. All generations, even 
today, if you haven't memorized that, if you haven't meditated, if you haven't set that into your heart, I encourage you, even now, uh, take that, it's uh, perforated on your connection card, take that verse off, take it with you, because you're going to need that, so that we can enter this world and, and uh, connect with it and engage with it rightly. Uh, everything centers around the very goodness of God. In fact, let's get to it. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Psalm 100. That's a weird zero at the very end of there, but it is 100. It's not 10C. It's 100. Get to all the way to Psalm 100. Now, this is one of those Psalms that we don't know who wrote it. Why? Because they didn't say. It's just there. But it tells us why it was written, which is far more important And you're going to notice as you get there, it says there, the purpose was to give grateful praise. This is a psalm. It tells you right from the beginning, if if you want to have a reason for for praise and to be for gratitude, you're going to find it here. It's going to help us in that. And I think this is something that our world needs so desperately, right? That oftentimes in our world, we find that people are, are mopey and down and certainly not grateful. And we have these expectations of the way that life should be, and life doesn't work out the way that we should think it should be, and so we have this disappointment, which makes us, instead of praise, we just complain. We are ungrateful complainers, I think, in general, and if you ever doubt that, talk to a customer service representative. <laughs> They'll be more than happy to illuminate you. You know, as I find that it's important that we recognize that grateful praise is something that God wants for us. And because it matters how we go before him. You know, in the ancient world, if you walked before a a king or a ruler and you had a bad attitude, you would die. They would be like, get out of here with that bad attitude. And you're never going to have a bad one again. And then you're done. And at first, I always thought, well, that's kind of cruel. But then I thought about it. That makes a whole lot of sense. Because the attitude we bring into the spaces where we go to meet people, it, it says a lot about how we value them, who they are. Right? For example, let's just say this morning when I came up to preach, I was like this. <sighs> Welcome to Christian Church Method Park. I could say all the right things, but if I did that, what does it say to you? I don't like you. If you are working at a customer service desk and you have somebody walking up to you like this, you know it's going to be a good conversation. Right? It's how we approach one another speaks more than what our words say. In fact, this last week, I, uh, I was cleaning out my cars and I found a gift certificate to Ed's Canteen. It was wonderful. And I was like, I don't have to cook tonight. woo And it was a great joy. And so I called in my carryout order and I went to the restaurant to go pick it up and it wasn't ready yet. So I was sitting there waiting for them to put things in it and I was just walking around the restaurant and in comes this couple, clearly on a date wearing nice clothes, all that kind of stuff. But that gal was not happy to be there, and you could tell, right? Guy goes in, sits down, and she's just like, I don't know what he said to her in the car, <laughs> right? Just go sit down and just like sat there and just scowl. Just like this is not going to be a happy date, right? It, it, you're in the right place. You're wearing the right things, but you're not having the right attitude, and it's just going to be miserable. And when we go before God, we want to live life. There's a way you're supposed to engage in it, and we don't engage with grateful praise. We miss out. It's, it's, it's inappropriate, especially for those who worship the king. And the psalm begins with this. 
a psalm of grateful praise. And you know the cool thing about this psalm? It's the last of what they call the royal psalms. There's a series of psalms from 93, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, and 100. Royal psalms talk about the majesty of God, who he is, draws into his goodness. And this last one talks about the response to that because of his royal greatness. And this psalm was sung every single day in the temples. It was part of the, the, the daily work of, of the priests as they were up there reminding themselves and they went day to day doing the sacrifices and the offerings and all of the things that they would do to remind themselves that they had a work of joy. That this is a psalm of grateful praise. And maybe this morning you find yourself in desperate need of gratitude and in desperate need for praise. And I want to I'm going to tell you something wonderful here, that, that God has this for you. You may be going through hard things in your life. Welcome to reality and this broken world. But our God is bigger than that. And your reason for gratitude is far greater than your reason to complain. And your reason for praise in this world reaches so higher than any disappointment this world or any experience in life could possibly send your way. It's a psalm of grateful praise. It resonates with our spirit because we were meant to be in perpetual praise. We were meant to be infinitely grateful. And not something that, that's put on in a false way, but because of how amazing our God is. Now, this psalm is short. And you say, praise the Lord for that, because it's going to be a short sermon. It's got two stanzas. That's it. Two simple stanzas that speaks so much. And so let me read it for you. The first begins with this. He says, shout, to joy, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are the people, the sheep of his pasture. What an amazing thing. It talks about this beginning with you're going to go before God. This is not kind of a secret small thing. Shout for joy. Like we're not supposed to have quiet little joy inside the Christian life that somehow we don't want anybody else to see to make them feel bad because they don't have it. No, we shout our joy from the mountaintop. This is public. Your life is a public profession to the greatness of God. Should be. And who do we have joy for? And who do we express it to? To the Lord to our king, to our master. Think how good this is. We take it for granted that we have a good God. Do you know there's a lot of other religions that don't have good gods? You know, that's part of my testimony. When I moved from atheism and I tried out the major world religions, and I thought, you know that most people in the world, the majority of humans ever lived, serve inadequate and capricious deities that do not have their best interests at heart and are somehow terrifying. That is not us. We have a good God. Our God is amazing. He, he can be trusted. And I love how it says here, all the earth, because this was meant to be praised and, and sung in the temple for the Jewish people, to the chosen nation. But even in this, it says God isn't just good for a tribe. God is good for all, everywhere. It was the first and early proto-gospel. It was the beginning, the hints that God's goodness and His promise and His mercy was not meant to be kept for just a few, but to be exported to all. 
for everyone to experience His goodness and His mercy. It's one of the reasons our church, we are so committed to, to saturating this valley with the good news of Christ Jesus. It's not just to those who are already in the holy huddle, but to the, all the earth, God is good. To everyone at all times. And that means even for you. And then it says to hear that we get to worship Him. Worshiping is centering our lives around Him. That, that, that really making the, the very focal point of our entire existence and being, and we can do that. We can live for something more than just me. And what a great invitation is that? How many people in this world just throw away their lives living for themselves, trying to eke out their own happiness or, or joy or success, only to see it all go away at best at the end of their lives, usually living in disappointment in the midst of their lives. But God says, no, your world can revolve around something bigger than you, better than you. It can revolve around Him, and He will not disappoint. And then we worship Him out of a begrudging kind of loyalty, Oh, with gladness. And then our lives should testify not just joy, but the very gladness that has very little to do with who I am, but who I am revolving around, who's at the center, who is at my core. And you want to know what the secret to a happy life is? It's in Christ. That's what Psalm 1 even began with, and he's not kidding. Oftentimes our worship is forced. Sometimes our worship feels disconnected from our heart or our mind, there might not be gladness there. We're like that woman on a date. We're sitting there with God. Thank you. But this is not how we live. Do you know that there is something amazing that happens in the spirit, in our life, in our very experience of how we, we engage with God and this world when we truly center ourselves. The more He is in the center, the more our life comes into order, the more His fullness we engage in, the more gladness we shall experience. This is the invitation to the greatest of all possible existences to worship the Lord with gladness. How amazing is it that our God doesn't say, worship me in fear and in pain? because I'm powerful, because there are many other religions that have gods like that. But our God says, come around me, my children. Come and be glad. Even the invitation, taste and see that he is good. Experience it to your very, very center of who you are till his goodness resonates within us. This is the invitation. This is the call. So come before him with joyful songs. God is at work. When we say God is good all the time, do you know what that means? It doesn't mean that all the time my life is good. It means that God is good when things are good in my life and God is good when this world is broken. And, why can he, and how can he possibly be good in the midst of a world that is so broken? Because we broke it, that's why it's not good. But he's so good, he's working all things together. For the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. He is writing history with the paintbrush of human lives to put a portrait, a beautiful tapestry of brilliance, of, of redemption, and of love, and of mercy for our benefit. Even the pain in our lives, he says, he works it for our good, that we consider it, it says, pure joy when we face trials. Because we know the trials aren't defining us. God is shaping us through them. The Lord is good. That's what it says. 
So come before him with joyful songs. In times of blessing, we come before him saying, thank you for this wonderful things. All gifts that are good come from you. And in the hardship, thank you that you're working this together for my good and your glory, that you're not done yet. Come to him with thankful songs. Know this, that the Lord is God. And when it says know there, that's a very, it's an experience. It's not head knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. Right? It's this idea of, of being able to be united with that truth. It's kind of like in the beginning, the Bible says that Adam knew Eve and then they had their children. That God wants us to know, like to be intimately connected with this. It's not just something that we think is okay. It's something that we know. It's kind of like, I don't know if you have somebody that you really like to go to their house and eat their food. Like I have a, I have a friend, Jeff, he makes great food. <laughs> and when I go to his house and he makes something, I can know in my head it's going to be good and then I taste it and then I know that it's good. God wants you to know he is good. He invites you to do so much more than just to know about him, to have this experience, this philosophical uh, construct that, that maybe God is, has got great things. He says, come and experience me. Let me into your life. And, and you're going to have an understanding of how fantastic, just a taste how amazing he is. And it goes then to some of the ways we get to know he's good. It is he who made us. He is your creator. God did not design you with malintent. Do you know he has good purposes for you in your life? And we're his. He's not what the deists come to say is God somehow was brilliant enough to make us but too stupid enough to figure out what to do with us. He didn't abandon you. He's got a plan for your life. And you're part of something. Your life isn't just about you. It's about something so much bigger that you could be part of. And he's drawing you into it. And your part is great. You're his. He's not going to drop you. He's never going to leave you. never going to forsake you. You are his. If that is not a good enough reason to have joy, I don't know what is. So we're his people. And in this, he talks about it was the Jewish nation that God chose amongst all the people of the world so that at least somebody would know who God is. He could reveal himself to us, that he did that. And now, you know, it says that we get to be grafted into that. Think about the blessing of this. It just blows my mind of God's richness and his mercy. He made us. That it's not because we were so worthy. It's not because we had done so many great things that God was just so impressed God was impressed with how he designed us and the purpose he had in our lives. And he says, I am making something great out of you. The sheep of his pasture. Psalm 23, we talked about that. He's not just big and powerful. He is intimate and personal. He is compassionate and kind and caring. This is how your sovereign treats you. What better attitude should we have when we approach the throne than with praise? In fact, really in there, there's this, this underlying current that we have this God who is amazing, so we serve him in worship. That, that our understanding, our experience of God, the knowing him is not something that can leave us unchanged, but everything in our life moves toward an expression of thankful joy with even how we live. It's an all-encompassing joy that leaves nothing in our life out. And this is how it begins. 
And remember how in the, uh, the Hebrews, they would rhyme not with the sound of words because everything sounded like phlegm, so that wouldn't work. But they would rhyme through ideas. And that's how they would uh, make something of their point. And so we find the first stanza and the second stanza rhyme in the most beautiful way, but they add and, and they increase the, the intensity of what is said. So the second stanza says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Right? Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now the gates would be Jerusalem, that's the holy city. Right? That was a miracle to even be there. And so God says, come to my home. Uh, join me. An invitation not to be kept out, but to be let in. An insider, one who is able to approach God, and if we're going to be there, there is gratitude. And how we diminish our experience of God's goodness when we enter into His space, forgetting that it is by grace that we are there, and out of deep thankfulness that He did not only make us, but that He designed us and welcomed us to participate in this world with Him. We get to be with God, so with thankfulness. And His courts, that's the temple. That's the area, the, the holy place. This is where we get to meet with God. And he says to be there with praise. It, it, this is a, an invitation for us to then take the truth of our knowledge and our worship of God, of that joy, and to make it real in our very experience of life and to pursue him and to know that he is there to be found. In fact, when we're there, we discover that he'd been pursuing us all along as well. And that's why it says, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Does my love endure forever? Not yet. I mean, I think the greatest example of that is how I feel about the Broncos. <laughs> right? There are limits to my love. Right? And I think all of us have that. But God is never disillusioned with you. You're never going to go through a losing season enough, enough, enough where God says, that's it, I'm done. His love endures Forever, he is your greatest fan. Never leave you, never forsake you, never abandon you. Never do anything to say, I'm walking out. His good and his love for you never runs out. It's an endless stream that fills the oceans and the universe and beyond. This is your God who feels this passionately about you and me. I think it's amazing. So is faithfulness. It's just not that God is there just to be faithful to you, but you know that he's faithful to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. Through every single generation, our God's love does not run out. And some of us need to hear that because we live in a world that oftentimes we look at our kids and we're like, what happened? Right? God has not abandoned them. God doesn't have grandkids. God doesn't have great-grandkids. God has children. And he loves them, and he calls them by name, and he knows them, and he, he is more intimately aware with what they need than you will ever possibly be. And that means that, that God's goodness didn't run out at some point in history where people just got too wicked, and he's like, well, I'm done with people. Figure it out on your own. That's not how he works. He is here today. He is working. His goodness is just as valid now for me as it was for whoever wrote this psalm. And for every priest and every person who ever sang this song, as they went to the temple of the Lord, as they brought their, their gifts and their, their offerings before him, he is just as good now as he's ever been, and he will always be that good. 
It's not going to be we get into eternity and there comes a point in which we're up there in the thousands and trillions and trillions of years that we get up there and God finally is like, you know, I'm kind of tired of being a goody two-shoes. I'm going to start doing things for me right now. God will never have a midlife crisis because he never has a midlife. He is just life. He's always good. And that brings me great peace because in this world we change so much, don't we? I've been with my wife for almost, well, married for 27 years, no, over like 30. I've changed a lot over that time. I've gotten better in some ways. You could ask Amy. And in other ways, eh, eh, verdicts out. She's improved. She was always fantastic. She just got better from there. But here's the thing, is that sometimes we get together with people, we have friends over time, and then they change, and then we grow apart, and then we don't like them anymore. This will not happen with God. It will never happen that way with him. He is always good. And his faithfulness will continue to all generations. So these things are true for us. So, two reasons now that we have to have bring joyful praise to God. And I think this can change us in how we approach the world and how we approach God in our life. And the first one is to understand this and really believe it. God is good. We're not kidding about this. And he's not good in the way that people think is good. How good is God? Think about this. He is the creator, your creator. Everything that has been made on heaven and earth has been made because of him, by him. Through his knowledge and insight, he's made all things. But in the vastness of space and the billions of universes with the billions of stars, all the way down to the tiniest little things into the cells that make them work, he is intimately aware and he constructed every single one of them, knowing that somehow it all come together, that you would exist and there would be a place for you to live eternally even outside of that. He is a creator. He is creative. You just look at the people he made. You're like, man, I wouldn't have thought of that. He's not just the creator. He is sovereign. He didn't just make things and then leave. He is enthroned in heaven and all of the angels and the armies of angels follow after him, his very command. And on the earth and the, and the wind and the, the waves and sickness and everything in this world, it, it bows to his will. God cannot lie because all he has to do is think it or say it and it becomes so. He is sovereign above sovereign. We call him king of kings, lord of lords. This is the God you serve. We don't go to India and then have some other foreign God we have to somehow appease until we can bring our God in. He is sovereign there. We go to the farthest reaches of space. My God is there and he is still sovereign. He holds the suns and the stars in his hands. He knows them by name and he commands them. Things exist when he wants and they cease to exist when he wills it. He is the sovereign God. This is who we serve. He is, he is the commander of heaven's armies. He is the commander of our hearts. He is the leader of the church. He is the first and the last. There can be nothing before him and nothing after him, but he is outside of the time he created for us to exist within. We can't wrap our minds around him, but he says, come and know me. Think how amazing that is. He is incomprehensible. He is, he is beautiful beyond measure. Our entire idea of aesthetic comes from just a measure of the beauty that is just a portion of who he is. This is our God. There is no standard of art or beauty or anything else that can come close to encapsulating or even in a way representing fully the goodness and the beauty of his presence. Even the holy angels in his very throne cover their eyes and cover their feet so as not to offend the holy space of this amazing God whom we worship. He is 
that good. He is our master, control over all things, but even in our life. He says, let me take control of your life. Then this world that I have created, I can show you the way that it makes sense that things work. And he has the right to do so. He created us and he redeemed us. He is not just our master, but he is our savior. He came in and the brokenness of our world when we had failed him, he has never failed anyone. In fact, he destroyed the brokenness of the injustice of our sin and our treason. He was the most high. He, he destroyed the work of, of all of the demons and all of their power and might through the weakness of death. It is the weakest that God could be is still stronger than the hordes of demons and all of human rebellion. And he's not just our savior. He is our advocate. He is before God as our judge that says not guilty and the advocate who keeps us so. He is also our counselor. He is a wonderful counselor, by the way, because he knows all things. In fact, God's knowledge is so vast, he doesn't just know everything that is. He knows all the contingents of things that could be. He is the God of all that exists and all the things that possibly could exist. He knows everything that could ever be, which is how he knows what is right. And so he says, come to me. I am the father of knowledge and ask me and I will tell you. I will not hold out on you. He is the one who absolutely knows what is right and best 100% of the time because he knows all things. And yet he's approachable. And though our, our thinking could never begin to touch who he is, he says, come. And I want you to know that at least I am good. He is, he's not just a counselor that helps us navigate life. He is our strong refuge in the midst of the difficulties in it. He holds us up. He is, the, he is the, the rock upon which we have stability in this world, and he is the rock that makes his enemies stumble. He is the God who is majorly uh, good in his light and his, in his power, that, that all of the things that he can do, and there is nothing in this world that, that could be done that he can't do. In fact, he's not just the God of all the possible. He is the God of the impossible, too. He knows everything that could happen and that couldn't happen. And he is sovereign over that. And it's the same way. He is a God over everything that does happen. And he's also sovereign over everything he chooses not to allow to happen. He is powerful in an amazing way. But in that power, what does he use it for? Goodness. In fact, he's not just good. He is the very standard and the source by which we can understand what goodness is. God isn't good because there's a standard of good that somehow God abides by. We know what goodness is because of who God is. He could never be anything but it. And it's the same thing for righteousness. And it's not the same thing for truth. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. He is all-worthy. He is holy, holy, holy because he is righteous and he is true. He protects the saints, he protects you. He preserves us, he redeems us, he sustains us, he glorifies us, he secures us. He is, he is vastly beyond anything that we could ever do to attain and say we are worthy of him and yet he invites us into his, fa or his family. He calls us his children. He says, let me be your heavenly father. He treats us with kindness and compassion every day of our lives. He is good in a way that we cannot even begin to comprehend. There is not a superlative in the language of man that begins to touch the majesty of his name, and his name is majestic in all the earth. This is our God. 
And I want you to understand he is good. He is good today. And he will be good tomorrow. And he was good yesterday. And he will not fail you because he cannot fail. He is your God. And he is a good God. And so we should enter his courts with thanksgiving. And we ought to enter his, his temple with praise. Our lives should not be a resounding disappointment as to the way this world is, but a hopeful march into that wonderful glory which He is calling us into, knowing that God is at work today, even now, for my good and His glory, bringing all things together for goodness and power and majesty. At the end, and He gives us a glimpse at the very end of the book of Revelation, a tiny glimpse of what's coming. And I'll tell you, it is beyond what we could ever imagine. Even the apostles said, I can't even describe how wonderful it sounds. But this is your home, and this is your destiny, and this is your eternity, because you were designed to be a people that bring Him everlasting, thankful praise. In fact, in heaven, the chorus of God's majesty is not going to be a repetitive chorus, because there's always something new to praise Him for. This is your God. So let us not live lives as defeated, as down, as discouraged, as selfish. Take our eyes off ourselves and worship Him, for He is worthy. Center our lives on Him. Make Him our focal point. This is where happiness and joy and purpose come from. This is where thanksgiving begins. Know He is good. As we do that, recognize He is also worthy. Our God is not just good. He is good, but He is worthy. He is worthy of our highest praise. Every day of my life, God's praise should never be contained to an hour on a Sunday morning. God's praise should never be contained for the moments in which I feel like I'm happy. God is worthy of our all in all. For who He is, there is no greater purpose to live for. He is the highest of all things that we could ever attain. He is, he is worthy, worthy, worthy. And that's what the angels say, and that's what the saints live. So give him your worship. He is worthy of it. He is the only one that has the mass to be able to hold your life together. He says, come, center your life on me. I won't steer you wrong. There is life here, and I'm worthy of it. He is worthy of your gratitude. Because today is not forever, but I will tell you this, even the best joys you had in life now pale in comparison to the mountain of majesty which he has waiting for you. He's preparing a place for you, it says. And he says, surely if I go and make a place for you, I'm coming back to get you. Live lives of gratitude. But he's also worthy of our service. What else could we possibly live for in this life that would bring us any level of satisfaction now that we have seen and experienced God? What could I possibly live for? I mean, I could start a huge movement. I could have people shout my name, build statues in my honor, and eventually we look at old Rome and they all crumble eventually. Even that's too small. But I'm living for an eternal kingdom that will never crumble. An eternal God who is worthy of my all in all and nothing it says done for the Lord is ever wasted or useless. What are you living your life for? What are the things that are your focus? Is it 
for anything in this life or for you or for your relationships or for your finances or for whatever else you think that you need to have in order to have contentment. Let me tell you, those are fine things, but the only place to find real life, real joy, the only thing worthy to live for is God. And he invites you now. He says, come, know me, experience me, and live a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. So we go to the Psalm 105, the very end, which is our anchor verse for the series. And I want you to hear this. So many people think that, oh, in the Bible days, God was... These are the Bible days, by the way. We still have the Word, and it's still powerful. And God is still working miracles amongst us. I see people who are lost, who God regenerates into a living son or daughter of His kingdom. I can't think of a greater miracle than that. God gives me the miracle of a purpose in life. He gives me the miracle of a family, a church family whom I love. He gives me the miracle of, uh, of being part of his, his divine march of glory even in this world until we get to the next. And he's good forever. And you are not going to outlive his goodness, so don't worry about it. If you give your life to Christ now, it's not going to get to some point in life and regret it. You cannot regret knowing the goodness of God. So God is infinitely good. He's eternally worthy. So let's choose to give him our grateful praise. How do you do that? Next steps, I put them on your connection card because I love you. And it's one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do, to not just hear this, but apply it, but to memorize Psalm 105. In fact, why don't you take the next step and meditate on it? Think about it. In your life today, do you see God? Are you treating him as worthy? Are you giving him the glory he deserves? Or are you fixating on the smaller things, the darkness of this world, which will only bring you down? Memorize that passage. Meditate on Psalm 100. The whole psalm, in its context, the, both stanzas, they rhyme together in beautiful purpose and meaning that give us great joy. In fact, maybe the thing that you need to do is praise with joy. To begin with, how do I praise with joy? Joy is not happiness, my reality, whatever I'm going through, but it's also the great hope that I have on top of that. And our hope is mighty. I've been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. He, he left, but he's coming back, and he's making all things right. And all of these truths are true, and my hope reaches to the heavens and beyond. No matter what's happening in my life, I have the capacity and, and the, of the call to live with great joys. And in that joy, as you lean on the hope of Christ, are you bringing him praise? Not so much complaining about what's going on in my life, but let's begin by praising him with who he is and his promise to work through everything. Maybe that's where your thing is this week as you begin to praise with joy because of who he is. Of course, another one is maybe you decide to take the next step. Maybe it's to serve with gratitude. Knowing who God is and how worthy he is and what he calls us to, it doesn't it demand my soul, my life, my all. It, it, shouldn't my actions in my life be, be worshiping him and with my very abilities that he even gave to me? If you're not having the opportunity yet, if you are not serving God in your actual life out of gratitude for what he's done for you and who he is, let me invite you to that because you are missing out. You are missing out. And this is a church where we serve a lot. And there's a lot of areas that we get to put our faith in the practice. And I'm just going to throw some ideas out. Maybe you're wondering, how do I serve? Well, I don't know. You can help out with our praise place ministry. We've got all kinds of kids that are coming now who need to know the love of Christ. 
And if you'd like to help show them that and to be able to support that, grow under there because it's growing. It's fantastic. Or, or maybe even our hospitality ministry. You know, the church is the friendliest place on earth. At least it ought to be. And we, I think we're really getting there. We're doing some awesome things. If you want to show God's love and kindness to guests as they come and to one another, you can be part of that. Showing your gratitude by serving, that's a huge way to do that. You know, there's, there's uh, areas that we could serve. We're going to be doing, building a, a roof for the Ash family. Maybe that's an area you want to serve because you're good with a hammer. If you're bad, then don't do it. But if you're, you want to serve God that way, serve him there. Right? There, there are lots of ways to serve in the church, and if you need to find one, guess what? You've been shaped perfectly for service, God says, because you have purpose and meaning, and you're going to find great joy as you do it. If you need that, let me know. Just check on your connection card. Say, I'd like to serve, and we'll set up a meeting with you, help you connect. To serve with gratitude. The next thing to do is you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't know this God. You've never experienced him. How cruel would it have been for me? To give a description of this amazing God whom I've had to walk with for 30 years and I've gotten to know and see that these things are true and I'm only scratching the surface and then to say, here's something wonderful, but you can't have it. That's not true. He makes his salvation available to you. He wants to be known by you as well. Unfortunately, we don't have to be good enough to be with God because he's infinitely good. You're not going to measure up. So what did he do? You're infinitely loved. And he provided his grace. And he says, I don't want your perfection, but I do want your faithfulness. He wants to be able to have that fidelity. He wants your heart because he wants to know you. So if you're here this morning and Jesus has not been in your life, you, you need to have that, that relationship with this good God so you can live a life of thankful praise and know this, the good news is you can be saved by God's grace simply through your faith in Christ Jesus. Make him your Lord, that's your, your master, your savior. And in there, you begin this amazing life of gratitude, of worship, of praise. You live for the highest of all possible things. The true purpose of your life will be made known. And if you need to take that step, I invite you. After the message is done, I'll be up here. You can come talk with me. I'll answer your questions. And I would love to help you take those first steps into the greatest of all eternal life. All of us hopefully have a commitment to make. So please, take out your connection cards. It makes me so happy when you all bring and put and turn them in. And uh, let me know I pray for you, but let me know your next steps so I can pray for you this week, support you this week as you follow after Jesus and uh, do the good work he's called you to do. Let me pray for you as you make those commitments. Heavenly Father, you are uh, better than anything I could even say on this stage or even in my life. You are infinitely better than the highest capacity of all humanity to bring you praise or worship, and even all of the angels fall short. But you have revealed yourself enough for us to know that you are worthy and that you are good. So, Father, in that goodness and that the acknowledgement of who you are. Help us to live lives of grateful praise. We have commitments to make, Lord, to follow after you, not religious obligations, but opportunities to walk our lives and to do the, the things in our lives that are an expression of that grateful praise. Help us, Lord, to keep these commitments, to, to draw closer to you, to live a life of purpose and of value as we experience you more and more. Father, we pray, too, for our, our valley, that the goodness of who you are wouldn't be contained to this or any other small body of believers in the Estes Valley, but it would spill out and saturate this valley, that everyone who lives in Estes would have the opportunity to truly know who you are and what you've done. Father, we pray for many to come to salvation, but also to, to a redemption in their very life, that they could live lives of joy and no longer disappointment. Father, may your goodness just fill this valley. We invite you, we ask you to use us as your faithful servants in that. 
And Father, for our tithes and our offerings that we bring to you, just worshiping you with the things that you've brought into our lives. Would you build your kingdom through those pleas? Would you bless them and multiply them for your glory so that your goodness would be able to become manifest into more hearts and more lives even here? Lord, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of our wonderful God and Savior, Jesus.